Welcome to Fishing Lines, from novice to expert, from river to sea. You're in the right place for the biggest stars and the best information on the UK fishing scene. Jules, good evening. How are you, sir? Uh, very well, yeah, yeah, yeah. In this strange world, I, I feel pretty good, actually, to be fair. Good. I mean, it's, it's a weird one because I, a lot of... I'm fortunate that, you know, I'm of a certain age and I've got a certain size house and you can shut the doors. And it's not made that much difference to me. I mean, I've lost a bit of fishing time at the start of the year. But when you're working hard and, you know, fortunately, I've not had to be furloughed. So it's not made that much of a difference. Um, as a retired man, has, has it made much difference to you? Um, to be fair, when it first happened, I could see it was coming. You know, you didn't be a brain surgeon to see this was coming. Um, and I certainly had two or three months of things, little jobs that I'd put off for years, you know, refiling, waxing all the woodwork, the small jobs that weren't going to really cause any problem if they were never done. But I sort of got my head around it and thought I'll do one job a day. So, it, you know, it, I didn't find it a problem. But I think as, as the year's gone on, we're, what, nine months into it now, it's the lack of meeting people you know there's no bcsg meetings this winter yeah. the conferences there's no conferences um i'm a very tactile person and so when somebody does something for me i always shake the hand and say thank you and now it's just thank you and it feels like almost a corporate thank you so yeah. it's been a drip 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 and yeah it's getting a bit wearing now it's you know compared to other people it's not been bad for me but it does tend to wear you down eventually yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I'd, I've dropped a bollock so many times. I I was out on the bank one day and a new member came along the bank and this guy went, oh, this is such and such. And I went, oh, hello, mate. And I could see the reticence in his eyes, but I'd already lunged and it was awkward moment where he grabbed my hand and I'm like, oh, um, and you feel just daft for shaking someone's hand, but I've been doing it for 30 odd years and that's how you greet people. And I just didn't pick up on the cue of, I don't want to shake your hand, but he did it anyway. So there you go. Uh, yeah. And it's a shame about the WhatsApps as well. It's a shame about the, um, uh, the shows. Uh, I was going to reach out to a couple of the guys like from Nash and Corder, and obviously they wanting to release new things into the marketplace. And uh, I know a couple of guys, and I, I was going to say, well, let, let's do just a half hour special all the things that you can release, everything that's coming out, let's just do a few. So the things that you are going to announce at these shows, at least you can sort of have, not that they haven't got massive, you know, um, media capability in their own right, but I guess every every channel is um, is an opportunity for them, really. But um, you, you must do four, five, six shows every winter? Yeah, uh, Carp Society Sandown is the first. Now that's that's always a nice one because I don't actually have any duties as such there. Sometimes I do with speeches, but that's what I call my oldie worldy catch up with friends. I used to stay at my friends Jeff Young, who lived about half an hour away, and it was tradition for me to stay overnight with him, then two days at the conference, um, meet the old carp society people who had really given my start in carp fishing. So that was the first one. Then you'd have Brentwood, which was what I call the first corporate one of the year, yeah. um, where you would, you know, be on the Nash stand. You've got the Northern Angling show. Um, and then, of course, you've got the big one in Farnborough. So I always had those four. 
they were always two days. So that's eight days. Never mind, you know, the tackle shop days, which, you know, I would say 10 or 15 tackle shop days a, a winter at least, maybe, maybe more. So, yeah, I actually missed those. I actually missed the, um, the you know, the interaction with people, the, you know, the, that, that kind of thing. I do miss them. Yeah, it's tiring. Um, but it's, especially now I'm retired, you're not thinking, I've got to get back for eight o'clock on Sunday <laughs> tomorrow. Now, the greatest thing about retirement is if there's a queue on the motorway, genuinely, it, I just listen to a podcast, I'll pull in at a service station, I'll have a coffee. You know, if I get home at 11 at night, it doesn't make any difference, really. So, you know, conferences weren't a problem anymore. You know, I didn't have to rush off at four to be home at seven so that I wasn't killing myself the next day. But, yeah, I missed the conferences, yeah. And I, I think that's going to hurt the conferences as well because I, I think that you, you certainly won't have any in 2021. I cannot see any in 2021. No way. No. I could be wrong, but I think when you don't have conferences for two years, it's a real. It's going to be a real difficulty to kickstart them again. Uh, budgets, you know, uh, budgets are going to be set for 2022 in four months' time. Yeah. And would you want to put 10,000, 60,000, 100,000 to one side just in case you might have a conference season this time next year? Yeah. So a couple of my customers are big conference organisations and they are just absolutely on their knees at the moment. Yeah. They're just because nothing's happening worldwide. No, nobody are doing um, large conferences. So they're changing the way that they work. So instead of um, putting on large conferences, they're looking at different ways to get people along. So they're doing lots of web-based conferences and they're moving their business in that direction. And we might find that happens in the tackle trade. So in the next couple of years, rather than trying to get people along to big shows, it may be that they have virtual shows and you log on at a certain time and you see you, and then you log on at another time and you see Keith Arthur yeah. and you just have virtual shows that people go along to. That's got to be the way forward for a while. I think there'll be more little tackle shop dues. I think I think you'll find that social media, where the budget will be pushed into social media, more films will be made, mm -hmm. you know, because the revenue to make eight or 10 or 12, you know, cart fishing films a year um, is considerable. And if the budget's not being spent on conferences, it will be spent elsewhere. And then you have to say, whoa, well, can I stop making the films and going back to the conferences? Because the conferences don't make the manufacturers money. They are simply to support the, um, the trade. They are to okay. the trade. You know, when national, have a conference they don't get you know that they don't get paid x thousand it costs them considerable money and they are simply supporting the trade and so how do you support the trade otherwise you have the trade shows you have your consultants visiting tackle shops i think there'll be a lot more tackle shop open days but i the days of three to ten thousand people in indoor arenas you know, that's that, i'd be surprised yeah, you could be right. And actually, when you look at it like that, let's say, I don't know how much it is, but it costs Nash 20,000 quid to do one or two shows. That's a lot of boilers and a lot of hooks that you've got to sell in addition to what you were doing already to get your money back. Absolutely. Because the margins are just so tight, especially for manufacturers. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think, I mean, yes, there will be shows, but I think some will go by the by, you know, because some of these major shows, 
are linked with um, bigger organisations. And the bigger organisations don't care about angling. You know, it's a business. And if the angling side of things is not making them revenue, they'll just let it go. You know, that, that's the reality. It's it's a called the fishing business, not the, um, you know, it's, it's not a charity. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Um, it's it's a different age. Um, speaking of different ages, you um, you mentioned videos and um, how people make films. And I think it's probably easier and cheaper now for anybody to make a, a fishing video than it ever has been. You've got people like Carl and Alex who do phenomenal, great, interesting videos, just, you know, with a £1,000 camera that they've gone out and bought in a very small amount. But... I do need to talk to you about practical carping. Oh, yeah. the, the book or the videos? The videos. Wow, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. They so, were they were they were that they were just off my head. There was there was no there was no learning of lines. You know, I came up with all the stuff, you know, it, it, it's 24 years ago, yeah. Yeah. So that's that was at a time when I was fledgling carping and coming from the north. There wasn't yep. that grapevine of information. You, you couldn't go down to, you know, the, the, the local gravel pit where there was loads of people carping. You were seen as a weirdo mm-hmm. and an outcast, just, you know, sat in a bivy on your own in a gravel pit somewhere, hoping that there were carp in it. So it was difficult back then to get information. And I think I've shared this with you before, but there's one thing I always remember. And you talked in one of the videos about if you're struggling to cast, if you can't hit your marks, wait until just before dark and the wind always drops and you'll always get 10 or 15 yards. And I saw it happen so many times. Me and my mates used to refer to it as Cundiff's Law, just because it's something we'd never really observed. And bang on, every single time when we were sat somewhere, we couldn't get out, it, it just dropped. But it was information like that that made those videos good and now they've been done to death do you know what i mean yeah. it's, it's, it's difficult to come up with content and explain it in a a new way i think corda did a good job a few years ago when they started to do underwater stuff that was a different twist um but i think that for me was a bit of a turning point where it got a little bit too formulaic yeah when- yeah that's right and um, i think the thing is is that it's becoming paint by numbers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but it's different things to different people. And I always, I always catch my breath when I want to start talking about that, because I think when I came in and say, you know, in the 80s, what did the carp anglers of the 60s and 70s think when they saw how I did it? They probably thought the same things that I do when I see it nowadays. And I, I think, it's timeline, isn't it? You know, we all think it was best when we did it. And I'm sure somebody who comes into carp fishing now, it has never been better because they don't know about the past. I don't think for one second that carp fishing was better in the 60s and 70s. I think it was best in the 80s and 90s. And I am sure that a lad who's just come into carp fishing um, in the noughties and the 2010s he wouldn't want to be at all around in the 80s and 90s. So I always sort of bite my tongue when I want to go, you know, um, Victor Meldrew. No, I know, I know what you're saying. It's it's easy to do it. And today's brilliant. You've got huh. barrows that you can throw a load of kit on, beds that are super comfy, bivvies that will last in a hurricane, 
uh, you've got iPads you can sit and watch a film on, and there's never been a better time to be a comfortable carp angler. But there was a time when you and your mates had hush you about this stuff called Enervite and somebody had yeah. got some some leak oil and how many drops should we put in? And it was, I can remember the first time somebody, just, just, it was. So go on, you, you said you're, and I'm going to allow you to be Victor Mildrew here. Um, you said the best time was the 80s and 90s. What, what captures it for you in those times? Well, First of all, yeah, in the 80s and 90s, I was 30 years younger. <laughs> um, and it's when you're born, isn't it? Yeah. It, it isn't better. It wasn't better then than it was now. You can't actually say it was better because, because whatever argument you give to say it was better, I can counter that by saying, well, 2000, you know, the fish are bigger now. There's yep. more waters. And irrespective of what anybody says about them being overcrowded, if you look carefully enough, you can find quiet waters. They might not have the size of fish you want or be five miles from home, but every single thing that you could say was better then, you can counter by saying, actually, it's better now. Whenever I cast out now, I don't worry about my line snapping. When I hook a fish, I don't think the hook's going to go open out. You know, when it rains, I don't think the bib is going to leak. Um, I'm not thinking, where can I catch a 20-pounder from? I'm not thinking, is my line going to break? Is my car not going to start? <laughs> yes, it was better then because I was a younger man then. But when you boil it down, you know, it's whatever you want it to be. Because you could say the same thing about Formula One, anything. You, that was when you had a certain feeling about it. And what I would say as well is, if you were in 2010, you probably thought that 2000 and 1990 was a lot better. But when you get to 2020 and look back at 2000 to 2010, you say to yourself, well, that was better. It's, it was always better in the past because it, it, it was the past. So you've got to enjoy what it is now. In five years' time, you will think that 2020 was brilliant. Oh, it was better in 2020. In 2015, you'll look back and think, what was I complaining about? 2020 may be the anomaly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I get what you mean. They, they were, again, I'm, I'm going to play the northern card here. There was nothing fun about growing up as a carper in the north in the 80s because... Uh, you were having to travel miles just to find waters that had a decent amount in, or you were fishing super low stock places that were rock hard. And you're absolutely right. We, we, it's not that we're spoiled now. The the amount of waters in Derbyshire that has got a 40 in, less, less than 10? Yeah, yeah. Less than, I mean, we, we, we are a bit of a desert as far as carp fishing goes, but as you get further south, obviously it gets better. But again, that's the progression of time. You can't just stock fish and expect them to be massive overnight. And it gets better. The tackle gets better. And there isn't a better time to start your angling career. And I think it's right. You look back with some level of nostalgia because it's yeah. you, you and your mates and you're stopping out for the first time on your own and, and everything's an adventure. Yeah, and I do think people need to be very careful when they think back, it was always better because that that makes you actually not enjoy today. It is so easy to think 
to get back into that, well, it was better in those days. When you were losing fish, you're having years when your bait had blown, you couldn't get in a water, nobody told you anything. I tell you what, back in those days, it wasn't fun. It's only when you go forward and then look backwards, you go, oh, it was the greatest of time. It wasn't the greatest. <laughs> you can't have a fish and you go, yeah, but it was, it, it, it's that era. No, it, you know, you look back and that glass, it's 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 distorted glasses in my eyes. I could be nostalgic, but the reality is, you know, I was living at home in the 80s and 90s. You know, I got cars that you'd get back to after 48 hours or 36. You would always have jump leads, you know, because there was no guarantee that it would start the next day. You know, so I, it was nostalgically better, but the reality is it's never been a better time to be a car pangler. No, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Thing is, though, that I think there's a. Again, I don't want to be too disparaging. That there are some people who get into carp angling, not not for the wrong reasons, but they come in, they're around for a while, they sell the tackle and they fall away. And every time I've seen you write anything or appear anywhere, you just enjoy your fishing, and it doesn't surprise me that you're not nostalgic about it, but you. You're one of those people, like I am and like a lot of people are, who go fishing because they just enjoy fishing. And it doesn't matter if you're catching a five-pound fish on the end of a quiver tip. It's that excitement of seeing it go round. And when the fish first screams off and you're wondering what you've hooked. And that never gets tired. Um, and it's a shame sometimes, especially on the forums, you see people go, yeah, I sold all my tackle. I'm just getting back into it. I just, I don't think I've ever sold a piece of tackle in my life. But, but that's bit again. I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. All the people I grew up with who I went fishing don't fish anymore, right? And if you go and pick a cart world up from the 80s and 90s, the majority what, well, yeah, the majority of people who wrote in those magazines one off articles or two off articles don't fish anymore. I just think that yes, there probably is a bigger turnaround, but there always has been a turnaround. Most of my mates who are into fishing uh, from the age of 14 to 22 don't fish anymore. So I, I don't, and this is going back to what I was saying before, I, I think there's an element of carp anglers getting burnt out because they either oh. put too much pressure on themselves to catch regularly or big, or and you can, they can see them losing sight of the fact of just pick some tackle up, walk out the door, and go and go fishing. Yeah. It's... And I always say to them, you know, they want to be famous or whatever. And I think you're not famous. Your idea of fame is 28 people coming to watch you doing a slideshow. You're not doing two nights at the O2. <laughs> and, and it, you know, we all start that way. You know, I wanted to be Kevin Maddox when I was a kid. But I also enjoyed my carp fishing as much. Yeah. And there are people, who are we to say they're doing it for the wrong reasons? There is no definition of carp fishing, is there? That you know, what's wrong with a lad who wants to be the next Lewis Hamilton? It's no worse than the, the lad who wants to be the next Ali Amidi or Daryl Peck. Um, I just think it's modern society, isn't it? I think we're more driven nowadays as individuals. But you know, I, I take me out often. There are very few who will make it. Yeah. You know, there were very few who made it in my era. There were lots of people who wanted to be famous in carp fishing when I grew up. And I can count them on one hand who've lasted. Because it's not a cure for cancer. You're not a football. If I was a footballer now, 
I'd be living in the Seychelles or in Barbados, but you're not making it. You have to enjoy it for what it is. Don't do it for money because you're not going to make a lot of money out of it unless you own the firm. Yeah. No, you're right. But it's the same with every single sport. Same as you say, how many kids did you go to school with who wanted to be pro footballers? And dedicated the life, didn't do well at school because they thought I'm going to be a pro footballer. And they got into sort of a junior team and went on and, you know, managed to sign with like a fourth division team, realised they weren't good enough. And they just, but then stopped watching football, stopped, they just fell out of love with it. I think that's the problem with fishing, that people just go so hard. And then because they don't get, they're not catching a 40 every single week, they just stop going. And it's a shame that, because uh, the problem that we've got in Anglin is dwindling numbers. It's becoming, you know, less and less popular over the years. And we've got to find some way to help people just recapture picking your tackle up, walking out the door, going fishing, catching, be be happy with what's local. Don't be, and again, sorry, I'm, I keep, you made a good point when you said, who am I to judge? And yeah. you're absolutely right. Nobody should judge anybody else. Fishing is a broad church. You go out and, you fish for what you want to fish on your terms and be happy with yourself. But it... Absolutely. You know, people used to tell me things like, well, you've caught all those 20s, but if you caught a 20 from Longfield or Raisby, then it would count. And then when I caught the 30s, yeah, but they, there's always a reason to knock somebody else or yeah. to, you know, to say, well, if I had the time, if I had the money, if I had the experience, I really don't care what other people have caught. I'm pleased to see them catching fish, but what they've caught doesn't really interest me. If on my local waters people are catching fish and I'm not, then it will teach me that I'm perhaps doing something wrong. But the fact that Terry's um, caught a 55-pounder or Dave Lane's caught or whatever, it has zero, zero, and I don't mean this strategically because they know it has zero impact on me other than I respect that person's dedication and the sacrifices they've done. And I think people get too wound up about what other people are doing, catching, achieving. It's by all means, have your role models or your icons or whatever. But the people that you should really look at are the people on your waters and how they're doing, because they're the barometer of your ability. Terry Hearn is not a barometer of your ability. No, indeed. And I I don't know if you saw when Keith was on the podcast um, a few weeks back, I I asked him the question, so you've had everybody on over the years, who's the best angler? And he he sat back and he took a breath and he thought, and he could see his mind going backwards and forwards. And he came up with three names. He came up with a matchman, he came up with Terry Hearn, and he came up with you. And those were the three, three names that first came to mind. So... I think the thing about you, you've consistently caught carp yeah. from a very, very difficult part of the world. You've not chased big fish. And, and the, again, if you're in the north, if you want to catch a 50 or 60 pound fish, that's different to you living 20 minutes down the road and you're on a hiding to nothing. The amount of time it's going to take you to get down there, especially when you're working, yeah, catch the fish, do two or three days, come back and be ready for work. And unless you're a full-time pro angler, Places like Raysbury before it was stopped, it's just too, it's mind-blowingly hard. It's its weeks yeah. of work. Absolutely. You, I have met people who have thought, wow, you are, I've never met anybody who thought, 
you're better than anybody else. But I thought, wow, you work more than anybody else. You are acting. You know, I fished with Andy Little, and he did everything better than me a little bit, and it all added up. And I watched the way that Terry Hearn watches the water, and you watch the way that somebody casts. They don't have a greater ability than you. Nobody's got a greater ability than you. But you watch people, you think, the way he works, he has, he is, it's often work rate, desire. I mean, I've fished with, and I've watched many of the greatest anglers. If you actually watch some of them, you wonder why they catch so many carp. And it's, it's, it's just one of those things, you know, there are no, people are not better than other people. And I, I hate it when they are. We're all on a progression. We're all somewhere on the graph. Yeah. For, you know, for everybody who thinks that such has caught the most carp, I could show them somebody else who's not known as caught more. It doesn't make them a better angler or a worse angler. It's just the way they are. You know, the best person in motorsport in F1 is Lewis Hamilton, you know, but people would argue Alonso, Verstappen. Lewis Hamilton has won the most, well, equal most championships with Michael Schumacher. So that is a, a, a levelling stick. Who has caught the most 50s? Well, you don't know because there are people who keep their mouth shut. Yeah. The John Holt of this world, who've been doing it a long time, Secret John. You know, everybody, there's always somebody better than you and there's always somebody worse than you statistically. Yeah. I, it's about being happy. Yeah. That's, that's the key. Go out, make yourself happy and don't worry about anybody else. And if you can do that, you've cracked it. Abs well, I look at some of the people who catch these fish. They don't look happy at all. And I'm not saying that they're not happy. But when you look at their face, you think, did you really enjoy catching that? And I worry when many of the most well-known anglers who I've known, I'm not named, say when they caught this fish, there was nothing else to do and they were lost for a while. And I think, wow, you know, that would worry me. You know, it's never bothered me, but, you know, it's horses for courses, but, you're not just, I can tell people now, anybody, any youngster, anybody who's watching this, at a certain level, you're not judged on what you've caught. You are judged on who you are. I don't judge Terry Hearn on how many fish he's caught. I judge him on the kind of person he is. There are people who've caught a lot of big fish who um, I wouldn't give the time of day to because of the nature of that person. Mm. If you ask me, are they good at catching big carp? Absolutely. As an individual, have any respect for them? Not at all. You know, it's horses for courses. Terry catches big carp and he's a nice bloke with it. Yeah, indeed. Peter Fingate, the same, catches big carp, nice bloke with it. Lee Jackson, the people I admire have A and B. They don't just have, I've caught a lot of big carp. They need A and B for me. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's the same in all walks of life. You, you can meet an arsehole who's successful in every walk of life, but... <laughs> again, each to his own. If you want to be successful in whatever your field is and crap on everyone else and be arrogant and you're happy, you, you crack on. That's entirely down to you. But um, if your desire is to be a marketable professional angler or whatever it is, don't be surprised when nobody wants to employ you because you're an arsehole. Exactly. Um, I think the other thing as well, um, going back to what you're saying about people being unhappy once they've reached their target, you you haven't been utterly defined by angling over the years. So if you look back at your Facebook and everything that you wrote through the years, you've got lots of outside interests. 
So on that segue, let's discuss yeah. cycling. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've been one of those people from day one. When I was at school, I was a loner because the things I enjoyed, very few other people did. So in the 70s, I liked rock music, Kiss. I liked fishing. Um, I lived in the countryside, didn't like disco, didn't like dancing, didn't like pubs. So I was really treat as an outsider. But my parents said, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. It's about what you enjoy. And I'm one of those people, when I found something I've enjoyed, I've never let it go. Mm. I cannot think of an interest, music, anything that I've ever enjoyed that I look back now and go, I don't get it now at all. I don't enjoy it. I don't watch it. I don't participate in it. What was I thinking about? I'm not one of those people who, who's ever left anything behind. And I've still got all the same interests. I am just a 25-year-old or 30-year-old older person than I was when I was 25. You know, the same interests. Yeah. So cycling. Yep. Um, your approach to carp fishing is, I think, fish for the things that make you happy, go local, catch a lot of fish, no real desire to go travelling around the world or, you know, catch, catching a 100-pound uh, Siamese carp from Thailand. I've never heard you talk about that. You know now you're a fit cyclist, and I've seen you go out and do a bit of cycling abroad. Do you look at the Vontus and Sakalobra and all of that and think, yeah, I'm, go I'm going to have that one day? No. <laughs> because I live very close to Lincolnshire, I can do 80, 90, 100 miles at 16 to 20 miles an hour and enjoy it. But my legs are not built for hills. And it, it is amazing that when you are not used to it, any amount of hills is hardship and for me cycling has never been and i've always laughed because on, as a cyclist because i don't have drop handlebars and i don't dress like a imitation pro cyclist i will sometimes wave at them and they ignore me because i don't fit the niche because i don't have a drop handlebars i go cycling for me i cannot see the point in being leant over and you know say oh i've got backache I like to sit upright. I'm a hybrid rider. I do it for me. I see. I do it at my level. I, and, I, you know, each their own. But I, I don't feel I need to fit in with your standard cyclist. I watch the pros and I marvel. at. But do I want to do what they do? Nah, not at all. But, I, you know, I marvel at them. But, I, you know, the thought of, you know, two, 300 miles, climbing hills, all weathers, Nah, not, not, not for me. <laughs> no. Yeah, but to be fair, you go out and do it. I see you put your summer bike away and you pull your old trek out with your mud guards on and you go out. I, you, you can't say that you're not dedicated because I've seen you go out in some real shitty weather and oh, yeah. into some massive headwinds as well. So I, I, I do it because I enjoy it, but it's like fishing. If, if cycling or fishing ever became a job and dictated to me, I'd stop tomorrow. If I woke up tomorrow and decided that carp fishing was just not for me, I'd stop mm. it tomorrow. Same as cycling. I, I wouldn't, you know, if I thought, I just don't get this anymore, I wouldn't do it anymore, which is what I was saying, that the things I've sort of taken hold of 
I still love, which tell me I was right. And I do trust my instincts. I don't jump on board things that I don't enjoy because they're still with me, mm. which is, for me, that's the greatest barometer. I've not sold my fishing tackle. I've not given up cycling. I've not given up liking music. I've never jumped on fashions, never folded the handles in, never worn yellow straps. <laughs> no, indeed. It's, again, each to their own. Absolutely. Folding handles. I don't get that. I've, no, I've, I've, I've tried to understand it, but I don't get it. I get it if you if you've accidentally brought the wrong you know buzzer bars, or it's a tight swim. But I just I just think it's like the king's clothes, and like nobody wants to say you're naked. <laughs> that looks really trendy, but you know that ninety nine percent of people are going. Hmm, yeah. Maybe it's a you thing. Maybe yeah, yeah. Maybe it's like wearing your trousers around your arse and all that kind of stuff. And just if you're not down with the kids, you don't get it. Yeah, and but if I start dressing like Alan Blair, I'm gonna look a crap. <laughs> you know, had I worn stuff like that 30 years ago, I continue to wear it, it ain't a problem. But if you're trying to change a fashion or a trend, um it can make you look a bit silly, can't it? It can't. Do you know the one fashion thing that I really thought that would come in to carping is if you look at and and I think Ali started to do it at one stage when um, they went away and did a show. Him and Dean went away and they went on to the flats and they started to wear bandanas and yeah. glasses and a hat. And if you've ever been, if you've ever done it, it, when you really need to see into the water, if you pull your hat down and you have something covering your cheeks and your sunglasses, it blocks out so much light and you can see so much better into the water. And I thought at one stage, I just, I don't understand why carpers don't wear that sort of buff around the face and then that kind of look so you can really get tunnel vision. And I agree with you, but the problem is you've got to go back further. When I do slideshows, one of the things I say to people is, um, how many people here have got 20-20 vision? And you'll get maybe 10, 15%. How many people, and they say, all right, how many people here wear sunglasses for spotting fish? You know, all the hands got. I then say, so how many of you people that haven't got 20-20 vision, that wear sunglasses, have optically corrected sunglasses? And it's like, oh, oh. A lot of carp anglers wear them as fashion accessories and it's absolutely pointless it's like i have sunglasses on but you have to wear a cap over the top to cut the sun out yeah but that's a good idea but if your eyesight's not 2020 <laughs> and you've not got contact lenses in and you've not got optically corrected glasses you might as well be folding your real handles in as well the majority of glasses that are sunglasses that are sold to carp anglers are off the shelf, I would say 90%. Now, are you telling me that 90% of car bankers have got 20-20 vision? Yeah, no, it's a good point. And, and same as you say, a lot of them are just worn for walking around the, the fishery and keeping the sun out of your eyes. I, I don't see many people sat up in trees for hours on end looking down into the water on them. Not Certainly not on the lakes that I fish anyway. 
Um, but you will see a lot of people sort of walking around him. Again, I could, I don't want to bash on anglers because I am one of them. And I, I, it's not like I have some superior level. I just, normal bloke, turn up, do my fishing, go home. Um, yeah, we're not bashing. But when, when I fish with Andy Little, the best advice he ever gave me, bar none, was whatever you do, think about what you're doing and be able to explain it to yourself. Why am I doing this? And even if you've got it wrong, if you think you're doing it for a certain reason, well, the reason I'm using this is because of X, Y, and Z. Even if you've got it wrong, you're thinking about it. Yeah. So it's, I always say to some, you know, when I go, I don't do tuitions, but I sometimes, somebody will win a charity and I'll, I'll take them fishing, I'll watch them. And I'll say to them, why have you just catapulted out four lots of boilies there? And they'll go, well, well I always do that. I say, do you think that, 80 boilies will make the carp feed or is that what you always do and it's it, I'm not talking down to them saying and, and virtually everybody who goes away goes yeah i now know why i use single bank sticks why i use a four instead of a ten as long as you can understand what or think about what you're doing even if you've got it wrong you're thinking about it yeah so i can understand using sunglasses but if they're not prescription and they're making it darker you what is the point? So it's not bashing people, but the thing I would always say to anglers is whatever you do, look at why you're doing it rather than just copying. You know, I saw it on YouTube. You know, does that person's fishing match what you're doing? You know, I can watch Terry fishing the estate lake. I can watch somebody at Cassian. But if, if I'm not fishing that lake, it has no, no use to me whatsoever. It's simply entertaining but it's not going to help me with my fishing yeah and i think you've hit the nail on the head there what's working at one place isn't going to work on another and it's only when you've done five years ten years unless you're a really talented angler and you fish three or four different kinds of water if you've come straight off a gravel pit to fish it at somewhere silty and you're fishing with five ounce leads and it's just bombing through it's like oh okay so what do i need to do and the good anglers are the guys who fish lots of different waters, different scenarios, mm. and they can turn up and they can look and go, right, I will bait like this. I need to pre-bait. I need to, and they just they unlock the jigsaw. And I think they're naturally talented anglers, just that have that ability and experience to catch a lot quicker than the guy who might need three seasons to get going. Yeah, the, the, the more experienced you are, you cannot buy experience. You can't compete with experience. So no matter, I've got, what, 35 years of experience, but if I went fishing with Kevin Nash or Rod Hutchinson you know, in, in his days or Maddoxy, they had more experience than me. They would naturally know that on a cold wind, they would expect to find the car here. They would expect to use this rather than that. It's not sixth sense or some secret. It is years and years of experience. So when I walk around a lake, I... I will be in tune with it more than somebody who's only got 10 years carp fishing experience because I've seen this scenario so many times. And, you know, that's what you, that's what you learn over many years. The more you do it, the easier it gets, you know? So if you're fishing four times a week and casting 20 times every time, you're casting 80 times a week. Now the guy who turns up every other week and casts 20 times a fortnight, his casting will never be as good as yours because of practice. Yeah. It's not, it's not ability. It's just practice. The more that you do it, 
the better you will get. So full-time anglers are better, not because they're gifted, but because they're doing it more often. Yeah, absolutely. So for beginners listening, let's say you go onto a water for the first time. <clears throat> you've never seen it before. You've not done any research because we know they're at the carp grapevine and you, you can do a lot of stuff before you get there. But you're put on a new pit, yeah, not big, 10 acres. What's your decision making? What, what do you do when you arrive? I, I'm, if I'm being honest, I will have done my research in advance and nobody should ever turn up at a water without having done research. You know, you need to know how big it is, where the predominant wind is, are fish coming out in the day and night. You know, nobody should ever, that you should never, ever turn up on a blank canvas, ever, ever. Well, let, let me give you this, Seth. Let me give you this. So on one of the waters I fish, uh, there is a trout lake that's on the same ticket and there's been some escapees. Nobody can fish it, and I've recently been given permission to go and fish it and put them back into the home where they're supposed to be. Same same floodplain, so no problems with the EA. We've got permission to do it. But nobody's fished that water for carp ever. It's a trout water. Turning up for the first time, what what, what would you do, Julian? Uh, location is everything. Absolutely. Okay. Location is everything. One of the things I do, um, summer and winter alike, is people talk about baiting up spots. I will fire mixers out everywhere. Okay. Mixers, in effect, are most, certainly in the winter months and the summer months, fish favour the upper layers. And it's, I'm not a very good zig angler, but I'm a good surface angler. And most car tend to be in the upper layers rather than lower layers. And it's a lot easier to get them to rise up a foot or two than to find the exact depth of a zig. And if I was walking around a pit like that, I would simply have one rod with me and I would just keep looking. And I, certainly after dark, it's location. Location is everything. So for somebody to turn up at a water for the first occasion, literally it is location and watching what is working and what is not working. So if you turn up at a water and there's nobody else there, then you are just doing circles and circles and circles and looking for fish movements. If you turn up at water and other people are fishing, then you watch what they're doing. Because if there are 10 anglers there with three rods, you in effect have got 30 rods fishing for you. You can watch what people are doing. Are they casting a long range? Are they casting short range? Lots of bait, no bait. Margins. Who's successful and who's not? You know, you don't need to put your hand in a fire to know it's hot. So you can use other people's, you know, experiences to catch you carp. You know, it, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's common sense. It's only like Formula One watching another person's graph lines of where they're faster in a corner than you are. You know, Lewis Hamilton's, you know, on and Michael Schumacher, no matter how good they are, if they are being beaten in a corner by a teammate, they will watch the trajectory on the graph lines. And it's the same in, in carp fishing. I don't care who you are. If Dave Lane goes on a water and somebody's smashing it up, he's not going to go, well, I'll do my own thing. His starting point will be, why is he catching? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I can't disagree with anything you're saying. I, it's an overlooked part of our art, 
And I, again, I'm not bad-mouthing tackle companies. We, we need tackle companies. We need bait companies. Um, you read the magazines and social media, especially. There's so many hashtags on a lot of things. You, you don't get the actual post, but you can find out what bait, what hooks, what line. But rarely do people now talk about the fact that they might have spent two days walking around and not cast a line. Oh, and a fish. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I sometimes think is my own worst enemy is people say you make it look too easy. And it, I, I'm very analytical about it. And I and I, I'm, I am my own, own worst enemy. I know when I do slideshows and I want to do social media. I make it look far easier than it is. The reality is if I dressed it up and said, you know, I can make it sound very complicated and i'm sure there's a percentage of people that go bloody hell that kid knows what he's doing he's done this he's done that he's done this he did that i can make it sound very complicated and big myself up or i can make it sound as simple as it is you know you fish with andy little peter springgate they're not and even dave lane they're not complicated characters they do A, B, C, and achieve D. They, you know, Terry Hearn isn't a complicated angler. He watches the water. He does the right things. I think a lot of people make it sound more complicated because they want to big themselves up and make it sound more complicated than it really is. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. I, I, I think there's an element of that. I think people want to make it seem difficult. But I think you've also got to be really, really good at something to make it sound easy. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. If if you've got a modicum of knowledge and you're having to think about the ideas as you're expressing them, it seems more complicated. And as experienced anglers, I think we take a lot of the stuff that we do just for granted. Yeah, I, I took a, a mate of mine, he's never fished in his life, and he reached out to me and he's been watching Bob Mortimer and um, Paul Whitehouse and he says, I want to fish. I've got, he's got no outside interest. He's, he's heading towards retirement. He's like, I want to learn how to fish. I want, I want to have that experience. And he's a great guy, really intelligent, known him for years. I put a rod in his hand, and it was like watching a, a child with his first rattle. And I'm like, no, the bay lump, grab it. Mm. just the small things that we do very, very easily that you have to take time to explain to someone else. I think it's the same with carp angling. When you're just used to all the things that you've just talked about, taking all of those simple tasks and putting them together, and you can explain it well, it seems simple. But when you're intermediate, you're still having to think in your own mind about... Clarity. It's clarity of thought. Yes. People get sidetracked far too easily. Um, and it's just... it's It's not... It's what I call starting points. I have got my starting points, but because I've got 35 years of experience, I know quicker than somebody else when to change them. That's not working. Whereas 10 years ago, it might have taken me a session or two. 20 years ago, it might have taken me a month or two. And 30 years ago, I might have gone a full season before I went, this margin fishing is not working. I need to learn how to cast long range. So, yeah, experience makes it um, uh, a lot easier. But the good thing about carp fishing is there's nothing that I do that nobody else can't do. Yeah. And, and this is what I say at slideshows. You could give me Lewis Hamilton's car. I'm always going to be 30 seconds off the pace. 
You can give me Valentino Rossi's motorbike. I'm 30 seconds off the pace. You can get me playing for Barcelona with the best team. I'm never going to score. Yet with carp fishing, once you master the basics and you fish the right water with the right rigs for long enough, you can be messy. You can score that goal. That carp doesn't know whether it's you, me or Terry Hearn if you put it in the right place at the right time. So carp fishing is the only thing I can think that's the greatest leveller. I can't think of any other sport whereby it is a leveller. There is no, you you cannot name another sport that you can become good at, professional at, um, whether you're black, white, rich, poor, you know, it, it is a great leveller. Yeah. Well, the, the the analogy, I guess, is the fact that anybody can look, and I'm not going to talk about multi-rigs, which we said beforehand we won't get into multi-rigs, um, but anybody can look at how you tie your rigs, the amount of time you spend getting a sharp point on your hook. They can copy everything that they do. They can buy the same rods as you, the same line. They can tie the same rig. They can go to the shop, and you're very open about what bait you use okay. and how you treat it, and they can do all of that. And that that gets them onto the pitch that gets them onto the start line that puts them ready to rock and roll but then they've got to put it next to some carp and that's when everybody pulls away really quickly or that's when somebody else kicks the ball away from them and and that's the bit i think with fishing that you can buy all the right stuff you can do all of the right things but then it's down to your skill your talent and how much time and work you're going to put into it and it's same as any sport drive I can give everybody that, but I can't make them get out of bed in the morning to watch for fish. I can't get them to tie the rigs up in advance. Most people are lazy. Most people are intrinsically lazy anglers. I, I have people who come fishing with me. I tell them precisely what to do. They turn up and they've got two rigs tied and they don't match what I told them to do. Have you brought this? Oh, well, I couldn't get that, so I got this. They haven't brought the freebies. The catapults are second rate. They haven't. It's not that anglers are better. It's that most people just can't be asked to do it properly. So that that's the that's the bit that's inexcusable. Because, oh yeah, because that's what you, you're setting yourself up for failure. <clears throat> if somebody of your experience is saying, right, here's what you need to do. And there's as many videos and magazines as you can possibly need to arm yourself with the right thing to turn up, to give yourself the chance when you get to the start line as everyone else. If you turn up to Formula One, you go, well, I didn't get that car. I've got a a Robin Reliant. There's no way you're going to be successful. Everybody can do the basics as well as anyone else. That's the thing. And I'm constantly amazed on waters where I watch people think and think, I'm not that good an angler. It's just that you're not trying hard enough. You're not doing it. And I'm, and it's what I can understand why they do it if you're not really bothered. So I'm a cyclist. I know I could go faster if I got drop handlebars. I know I could go faster if I clipped in, if I got myself down from, what am I, 11.4? If I got myself down to 10 stone, I could go a lot faster, but I don't desire it. Now, I know a lot of anglers don't aren't really bothered. It's, it, but when somebody says, I just don't understand why I'm not catching, it's not fair, and the bait's blown, and 
it's in your own hands. The majority, the good thing about carp fishing is that success or failure, most of the time is in your own hands. You know, it, it really is. And that's, there, there is no excuse if it hurts you to not be a good angler. Most people, there are 5% of people who I've met who just don't get it, who are never going to be anglers. There are 5% of people who I watch, you know, Terry, um, Rod Hutchinson, and people like that, Alan Blair, because of the work rate, the grafting, you think, wow, uh, you know, you are operating at a level that is, you know, in MotoGP, they used to call them the aliens. You know, there was Robbie, there was Marquez. They used to call them the aliens. But 90% of carp anglers have got about the same ability. And the more they work, the more successful they are. So most people have got no excuse other than looking for excuses. Yeah. You know, most people look for excuses when the actual, being totally honest, it's down to them. Whenever I failed at carp fishing, I would say 99% of the time, it's because I've not worked hard enough, I've been lazy, I've not thought about it. Very little of my failures in carp fishing have been down to the carp. In fact, I can't think they have. Any failures in my carp fishing have been down to me. Yeah, but that's the thing as well. It, if you do blank, if you do fail, <clears throat> and you come away from it, and you self two things. One, you've got to be self-analytical. You've got to be able to go, what went wrong? What have yeah. it? And some days you just turn up and you're just not in the mood and you fudge it and you walk away and you go, one of those days. But if you go and you fish to the best of your ability and you're not successful, then you've got to look at why you weren't successful. And if you don't do that, you've missed the first opportunity because you're not being, you're not learning. And the the other thing is, if you think to yourself, well, actually, I know what I did there. I didn't retie that rig. It was a little bit blunt. I didn't do this. My baiting was shit. And then you don't put it right. That's your fault too. It's it's a linear path of learning and then putting it putting it right. Honestly, if you're not honest with yourself, you are never. If you continue to blame other people, well, the swim, other anglers, the hook, the bait's blown. It's the wrong. I can come up with a million and one excuses why I've not caught a 50-pounder. The reality is I've only fished one ever water in my life with a 50-pounder. The only reason why I've not caught a 50-pounder is not down to anybody other than me. Yeah. I chose if – I, if I had to catch a 50-pounder to solve world cancer, I could go and catch a 50-pounder. I don't feel the need to do, so I'm very honest about it. The problem with most people is they're not honest about it. They they will dress it up as I said earlier. Oh, it's all our family are big boned. Oh, it, it, it's you know it's my only vice. Once once people are honest about things, then they can progress in life. But but you know most people's circumstances, a lot of people's circumstances are are self made. Be quite honest. It, it's I don't know if it's an age thing. Self-reflection is a difficult thing. Self-reflection and self-improvement. I think if they could teach that at school, people would be a lot more successful and a lot happier through life because you go through life with a, most people, not everyone, overinflated ego or overinflated sense of worth. And I think actually if people can just peel back those layers mm -hmm. on themselves and, and look and be honest with themselves, it makes you happy and it makes you more successful. My, my, I mean, I was lucky. My self-reflection started at 15 or 16 uh, when I was doing my O-levels. I, was, I wasn't a gifted child, but I wasn't thick. 
And I managed to get through my 11 plus and all my other exams very easily. Now, when I was 15, that would be 1978. So I was fishing, I was going to music and I, I was doing enough to get by. And I did my O-levels and I remember going, going and picking my envelope up and there were like six Ds, two Cs. So I got six that I just failed. And I remember going to see my mum in tears, crying. And she did said all the right things. And I remember saying to me, she put her arm around me and she said, we can do everything for you, Julian. Your dad can take you fishing. We can do this for you. We can do that for you. We can run you to concerts. We can't do the exams for you. And I thought, the only person whose fault that I failed my O-levels is me. And whenever anything's gone wrong in life, whether it's a relationship, whether it's uh, fishing, I honestly can't, you know, I would say 99% of the time it's been down to my, my failure. You know, and I think the soon as you accept it, your future is in your own hands. It's not in Terry Hearn's hands. It's not in my hands. It's not in your mum's hands. It's not in it's not in Boris Johnson's hands. It's not in Dominic Cummings' hands. It's not in Keir Starmer's hands. It's actually in your the majority of people's circumstances, your own hands. And as soon as you accept that as a car panther, then the better. I couldn't get those hooks. That's absolute rubbish. If you rang four tackle shops, you'd get them. You know, when I was fishing in the early years, Peter Springgate said to me, or, and Robin Dix, it might have been, you need some Sprite size eight hooks. They're the ones. Now, you don't get Sprite size eight car hooks in Selby in 1985. And I rang round, I rang round and eventually got them because I knew that's what I needed to use. Whereas nowadays... Nowadays, people go, well, I couldn't get any four, so I got some sixes. I couldn't get any skin links, so I got some braid. I couldn't get any of those pop-ups you told me to use. So there were some going cheap. And the reality is, it's not that we're better anglers. It's that we're more, it's either right or it's wrong. Yeah. Well, for me, I, I need to have the confidence when I cast my lines out that I've done all the right things. Because I'll, I'll sit there and I'll mither on it. And if I don't think it's right... My confidence is shot to pieces, so I need to know when I turn up. I've done every, I've done everything right before I cast those lines out, because that's the last bit of the jigsaw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And again, you, you turn up, you find fish feeding, and you cast out, and you sit there. And it's it's only a matter of time. I, of course, I'm going to get one, and it doesn't happen. And your your hook's blunt. It's the wrong size. It was too obvious, and you knew before you cast that out. And I've done it. We've all done it. We've all cast a yeah. shit rig out. We've not taken that 10 minutes just to sit back, you know, pop a few more baits in, keep them feeding, go away and do the things. We've got excited. We've bombed into the middle of them. And, you know, you've spunked your chances for the day. Fish that you've been trying to track down for like a couple of days or a couple of visits. So I, nobody's perfect. But to keep repeatedly doing those things, that's what separates the people who catch fish consistently. That's the matter. The, 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 the one thing that you can't teach sell somebody is making it matter. It doesn't matter to me that I can average 22 miles an hour. It doesn't matter to me. So therefore I'm not spending seven grand on a bike. I'm not training. I'm not clipping in. I'm not dropping a stone and a half. It doesn't matter to me. 
But what does matter to me when I go fishing is that I do it as well as I can. And it's that conscience, that pricking, something sat on my shoulder going, ha, ha, you're not doing that right. You know it. You know it. And I can't sit there and go, oh, it'll do. And if you can develop that conscience that makes you work harder than anybody else, you'll be a successful angler. Every single eye angler I know is successful is on work rate. Nobody is gifted. You, football's the same. You look at Ronaldo and Messi. Look at Hamilton and all that. They all, nobody is born with a God talent. They, every single successful person um, grafts their balls off. And yeah. every single successful angler consistently works harder than the man next door. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, do, you, do you know Nige Woodcock from um, Nash? Yeah, yeah. So, so Nigel was our first guest, and I've, I've known Nigel for years. I've, I've fished with him for years, and um, he was talking about Alan Blair coming down and having a night with him on his syndicate. And Alan turned up late and just came down for a bit of a social. wasn't going to fish. They they sat until well after dark talking, and, he, and Alan said, "I might try and winkle one out." And this is a man who's not turned up to fish. It's yeah. you know eleven o'clock at night, and everyone else is thinking about turning in. Went and got the boat rode round on the boat all over the lake till he found some fish in the middle of the night under some branches, found them, went back to his car, got everything out, baited up, caught a fish, and he was the only person to catch that night on a syndicate he wasn't familiar with, on a night that he wasn't going to fish, with rigs that he'd made up just on the bank. Desire, drive yeah. and desire. That's, that's all it is, is drive and desire. Everybody can... Have a sharpened duck, a citrus boily, a cell boily, a lead clip, a 25-pound line, and access to a syndicate. Drive and desire is what separates Alan Blair from somebody else. It's yeah. that it's that want to do it. Yeah. You know, it's you know, it's the it's the dragon's dens. The ones that are successful are the ones that are that want to be, you know. Want I've got 10 million, but I want 20. I've got 20, but I want 40. You know, look at Lewis Hamilton and um Rosberg. The first year that Rosberg won it, he knew he couldn't do it again and packed in. All it made was Lewis Hamilton even more determined. Mm. So that's the difference. You've got somebody who Lewis Hamilton wants, to, no matter how he Dale plays, he wants to be the most successful driver in history. And he will do what it takes. He has got that drive. You know, Rosberg, great driver, but he only had it in him once. You know, and that's the difference. Every, yeah. you know, we could all be a Rosberg, but a Hamilton, few and far between. I can't get on board with the simile. He's he's not a character I can get on with. I can look at his talent. I can look at what he's done. But I can't separate his achievements from the person, and I know they're both they're intertwined. You can't you can't have one without the other because you take that personality away, and you're taking half of who he is away. But his public persona, he just he turns me off. He turns me cold. Well, name me a Formula One successful winner with a character that hasn't got flaws. I, well, I can't. I, I can't. I can't name. Many natural God-given talent, but he thought he was God, and it was his divine to win. 
I'm going to run you off at the first corner. You know, I am divine. Schumacher, you know, the bit of him that said, if I can't win, you're not going to do. Alonso, you know, with Hamilton. Um, none of the most successful, Vettel, none of the most successful drivers have anything other than tunnel vision. And I love Michael Schumacher. He's my hero. But I have to, I have to separate what he was like at times. Doesn't yeah. stop me absolutely adoring and loving his work rate and him being my favourite driver. But I can quite understand why people hate him. The same as I can quite understand why people don't get on with Lewis Hamilton. You know, Lewis Hamilton. But Michael Schumacher is far more popular now. Now he's not racing. Lewis Hamilton will be a far more revered driver by the community once he stops racing. Once he stops making political statements. <laughs> it's just... If, if you're going to be, if you're going to invest so much in such a di, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, dichotomous um, political ideal. He's, he's he hitched his wagon to BLM and started, do, you know, doing Wakanda forever symbols when he got out of his car, and it was the timing of it was bad. You know, the, yeah, I think you have to be very careful with with rights come responsibilities and yes he has the right to draw attention to some of the horrific stuff that happens with black Lives matters but you then leave yourself open for criticism if you are talking about various things and you are going around in a plane if you are <laughs> yeah yeah and sometimes our heroes messy not got the best tax affairs in the world ronaldo Sorry, uh, Ron. Yeah, Ronaldo. Not got the best relationship with women in the world. They're, they're all flawed geniuses. And if I went into the car world and explained to you about some of our most successful car panglers and their follyballs, yeah. you know, nobody's perfect and you just have to view them. You've got to, you've got to separate them from their achievements. Well, it goes back to what we were saying earlier on. Um, we're fortunate in carp angling that we've got a good lot of ambassadors for carp angling who are just nice people. But we all know the rumours and the stories of the people who behind the scenes aren't like it. But again, you can't separate that bit of the personality away from the guy who gets up at two o'clock in the morning, drives to the lake before dark and is walking around. Because for some people, that level of drive comes from their arrogance, their desire to be better than the person next to them. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I do know people who who will tell somebody they get their friend they get in there at seven o'clock in the evening and will get there at five to beat them in the swim. I do, you know, uh, and it's you can't take that desire dry. And and they're not the kind of people I want to fish with. You know, I, I'm we're only here once and for a limited time, so I'm very choosy about who I associate with and who I follow on social media. And there are a number of people who are very successful carp anglers who I don't follow on social media because they give me feelings of... Um, I, I don't like their, their ideals, the way they put themselves forward. Not that I'm right and they're wrong, but the only person who's in control of seeing that is me. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have to see it. I don't agree with what they're doing. And I put it to one side 
doesn't make me right and them wrong, but I am the ultimate controller of what is on my feed. Yeah. Well, why why would you have something on your feed that makes you unhappy? Well, I, 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 I just don't get it when people do it all the time and they complain about stuff and what are Corda doing selling shrink tube liner liners that are pink at one ninety nine for six? I, 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 I don't get that. You're not buying them. It's not electric. I don't get all this hate. It's not electricity, water, petrol, or tolls. You don't have to use them. I, I don't get wound up about stuff like that. It, it has to be said, occasionally I'll see something, <clears throat> and this is the old man in me. I'll look at it, and you get that kind of, well, in, that's stupid, because in my day, we did it like this. But that's all that you, you kind of compartmentalise it and go, oh, each to their own. You move on with your life. There's, there's no point getting upset, but you do see some inventions where you go, really, is that where we've got to? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, but, but, you know, I am sure, I am sure that in the, when I was a car pangler in the 80s, I bought Kevin Nash rod mats that went under my rods that were pegged down. And, you know, you pegged them down with little pins. And it, they were a great idea because they kept all the muck out your reels. And in those days, if you got grit and sand in your reels, that that that, that did them because they weren't secured properly. Yeah. So, you know, I used to use Hessian sacks and then I got, you know, I used to use empty plastic bags and then, of course, Nashi made them. You pin them out, etc. And I am sure that many carpangers from the sixties and seventies have thought you spent nine ninety nine on that. <laughs> it was the equivalent of a folded reel handle or whatever. <laughs> I always, before I make comments about stuff or even really think about it, I think, what would the person who I'm complaining about think? Would he think, oh, Victor Meld? So I'm very careful. Uh, you know, it's, I don't appear an old man. I am. <laughs> uh, it, well, you, you're only as old as your outlook, really. And, and as long as you can keep a young head on your shoulders and, you know, be respectful of the fact that young anglers have got to go through their journey. And if they want to have an iPad holder coming off the bed chair so they don't have to hold their iPad, so be it. Crack on, if that's what so, makes you happy. I had tellies in the 80s, and I'm sure that Richard Walker would have thought... Why aren't you sat outside listening for cloopers and I had a telly to get me through the long, boring nights and watch Ben Eubank 2 or whatever? So I'm always very careful. If it doesn't affect my fishing, I am. it doesn't bother me at all. As long as it doesn't affect my fishing, and if it does, um, I don't fish those waters, you know. There's no point being wound up. It's fishing. It's not breathing air or... <laughs> Yeah, we, we do have a tendency to get wound up about these things. But you're right. I if, When I'm choosing a water now, I choose a water where it's quiet. And then I don't have to worry about anyone else. The, the size of the fish that are in the water is less important to me than the fact that I can go midweek, maybe have the place to myself, maybe see another couple of people. I would rather fish for fish that are £10 lighter. And even if the stock level's not great, I can go and I can do my own thing. And if I catch one, that's great. But actually, I'm not being bothered by anything that anyone else is doing to me. Absolutely. Yeah, my waters are based, and I don't I swear often, my first, well, my, my outlook on waters is, number one, is it wanker-free? You know, I, I, uh, number two, is is it safe? Is it otter fence? You know, uh, you know, predation. Are they fish that I want to catch? 
are they somewhere between 15 and 35 pounds and thereafter I, i'm fine it, it, you know it's it, some people want to catch very big fish some people want to socialize the only person that's in charge of my fishing is me yeah. And anybody who's watching this, the only person that's in charge of your fishing is you. Don't fish waters that wind you up. Go and fish waters that, you know, you enjoy. Yeah. It baffled me that people go to Linear in December after Christmas and go, it was heaving. Could not believe it. People were captain over me. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but again, the thing is, you, you've discovered your sweet spot, 15 to 35 pounds. And in the north now, there's one or two of them. Well, there's quite a few of them. As soon as you start to be a little bit more ambitious, you thin your choices. You have to drive further. You don't get the lakes to yourselves. You start to get some, let's call them noddies on, um, and your your enjoyment goes down. You've got to find a sweet spot with your time, your abilities, your cash, because let's face it, some of the waters are ridiculous. A water that I used to fish that was 600 quid 10 years ago, and I thought that was expensive back then, is now 1,500 quid for the year. And you just go, I I don't fish enough. That's, yeah. you know, that's... A pound a year is all right if you can justify it for your for your um, pleasure. You know, it's, it's whatever, whatever... You know, there are some waters that are worth £1,500. Do I want to be one of five people paying £1,500 or do I want to be one of 30 people paying 500 or whatever? You know, so sometimes it's a balance, isn't it? And, you know, that's the reality. It's it's a business, isn't it? It's a business. It is. And people take the risk. They set the water up. They've got cormorants, otters, poachers, everything else to worry about, flooding, and they put the fish in in good faith, and they could see 20, 50, 60,000 pounds go up in smoke. And it's it's a business. They're not doing it out of the goodness of the heart. And it's a massive financial risk that somebody's taken. So they, they deserve to get paid as much as anyone's prepared to pay. Absolutely. Um, so we've been talking a bit about the history of fishing and, you know, what the small changes that have come along the way. Is there anything in your fishing or any realisation that you've had over the years that's been a Copernican turn where you've gone, do you know what, either that moment, that experience, something where it's just switched you on or has it just been steady progression for you? Um, I mean, I, I would like to think it's been steady progression, but there have been, you know, two or three moments where that have been, you know, I thought, wow. I mean, the first time I fished with Andy Little, I was, so I'm trying to think, I was 24, and I was a pretty good angler for this area. And I went down there thinking, yeah, I'm not bad, and, you know, and I watched him fish, and I think he caught maybe a dozen fish to my three. Now, at that stage, I could have gone, well, Andy knows the water, he's more experienced. He put me in the dove swim, etc. And I looked and I thought, no, he works more than me. He works harder. He does everything a little bit better. And I watched him. He, see, he, he would talk to he would make a cup of coffee. His eyes wouldn't leave the water. He would see a fish roll. He would bend down and start winding his rod. He would pick his rod up. His eyes wouldn't 
leave the water, he'd swing it in, he'd feel the hook point, and before that ripple had finished, that was back in there. He'd move, he'd be up first thing in the morning, and I realised that actually it's not, there's nothing he wasn't doing that I couldn't do. And I just realised that if I did everything a little bit better, I'd catch a lot more. And it wasn't the fact he was Andy Little that made him a better angler. He'd got experience and graft. So that was that was one of the first times where I could have gone, well, he, you know, I could have made an excuse and said it was him when I realised it was me. That was one of the first things. The second one was in 1994. And I remember, I think the record number of 20s in a year for Yorkshire was something like 39 or 40 or something. And I remember catching 42 20s on overnighters in 92 to 93. And that broke the record. And it, I mean, that was a lot of 20 pounders 28 year, 27 years ago. Now, the next year, I thought, well, I'm going to beat that. And I ended up catching 45. And when I caught the last one, you, you know, you take your pictures and you send, you, you send them off for developing because I said it was Fuji slide film. And I got the pictures and I thought, I don't even remember catching that fish. And all that fish to me was a 20 pounder. And I thought, God, this is, this is just pointless. I, I'm going fishing just to get 37, 38, 39, 41. Now, next year, am I going to go for 50? And, and that was, an, and after that, I just thought, it, 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 it's pointless. It, it, it's, just a, it's just a number. It's just a number, and nobody's going. Julian Cundis only had forty-one twenties this year. <laughs> He's so that was a pretty that was a pretty um, important thing because that's whether it was numbers of fish or size of fish didn't make any difference. It was something that said, "Whoa, your fishing is controlling you rather than you controlling your fishing." Uh, and then I think. Probably the last one was uh, when I caught Decade from uh, Church Lake at 49.6. Now, now, my previous personal best was probably mid-30s. So Decade at 49.6 was a huge fish. And I always thought when I've caught that, so many people say I went to Cassian and caught a 70-pounder. I just can't go back to catching doubles again. And I caught that fish and it was ginormous. And I went back the next week to fish a local club water. And I had, I think, a 15, a 17, and a 21. And I was, I don't know how I could say I was equally as happy. I, I was equally as happy with my fishing as I was when I caught, I think it was a 30, a 49, and a 38. They were just three fish from a water that held that. Didn't do anything different. And I realised then that my happiness, people were more impressed by decade than I was. So the fact I caught a 49 pounder seemed to impress everybody more than it impressed me. And I realized that, you know, what I thought about my fishing is important, not what anybody else thought. And, you know, th those were the three matters, three moments that in my fishing were really quite pivotal that kept my, kept my head on my shoulders and made me, I still, every time that buzzer goes off, I think, ooh, ooh, even when I know I should catch, that I've done everything right. When that buzzer goes off, I don't go, yeah, that's another one, mate. It's still exciting. So those, those three 
were very pivotal moments in fishing, very pivotal. So I um I went to the St Lawrence in late late nineties, and I, I could probably count the number of twenties I'd caught on on one hand. I'd ground a lot and you know fished hard for them, but the the fish just weren't around. You know what I mean? And when I caught a twenty, it was a really big deal. And then um, we went out to the St Lawrence, and I caught fifteen twenties on my first day, and I spent the whole week like that. And I, I got back. And for a while, I had that moment of just, I, I can't go back to my normal. That's just, it had blown away all of my conceptions about catching fish because I realized that actually these fish are very, very catchable. You put a rig in the right place. If they're there, you'll catch a 20. And it was that moment I kind of thought, well, I can only fish for the fish that are in front of me. If I'm only fishing for 15, if that's all there is in my lake, I'll go and fish for them and I'll be happy. And for me, that was the moment where I just learned to shrug my shoulders and go, size doesn't matter. And then you just, you have to, as soon as you, when you said that, when that buzzer goes, if you don't get that spark of adrenaline where you jump up and you don't care what's on the end of it, as soon as you lose that, there's no point going. I don't fish waters where whenever that buzzer goes and I'm still excited, tells me that I'm fishing the right water. Because if that buzzer goes and I'm thinking, then I'm fishing the wrong water. It's yeah. not the carp's fault. It's not the water's fault. I've chosen the wrong water. And the trick, it's like I always think it's like a swing. The trick is about you need to find a water that challenges you to fish, but also gives you the reward. So it's that balancing thing. And trying to find that perfect balance is the hardest thing. And once you get used to it, it's very easy. You know, I'd love it that there was a water that I had to myself, and but there's no such thing as, you know, I'd then be saying, well, I know this water I fish is full of 50 pounders and only I can fish it. It'd be then, well, I'd like to fish it in just the summer months. And then it would be, I'd like, the. it never starts, you need to be, accept what you've got and find enjoyment from it because perfection will never, you know, never exist. You know, you're not going to do it once and that's it. You just have to do it for, you have to find out what makes you tick. And when you do, it's it's, it's great. Because I think a lot of people, the problem they're fishing is they don't know what they want from it. They think they know what they want from it. But when they get there, they think, oh, is that it? I know so many people who have done fishing, they've killed themselves and then gone, is that it? Yeah. And they've given up. Same with cycling or motocross racing or music or whatever. They've... They don't know what it is. And when they get there, it's not the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And it was like, well, I'll do something else then. Mm. So cycling was bittersweet for me. So I've cycled all of my life ever since being a kid. In the 80s, I rode for a local team and um, picked it up again. In my 30s, I was doing triathlon, got up to sort of Ironman level, dropped it when I had kids, and then started back as the, the classic mammal in my later years. But I'll be honest, I've, I've been driven off the road. I I was going out on a, a Sunday morning, as, as you know, you do, you get up early and you go out and you do 50, 60 mile or whatever you're going to do. And I was leaving the house thinking, is this the last time I'm going to close the door? Yeah. And I had that for maybe a year. And it was one of the few social things that I did with my mates that was just for me, where we'd go out, we'd have some food, we'd come back and we did it four or five years, a group of us, really good social activity. In that time, my brother got knocked off 
somebody with a caravan tried to overtake us and swung into him. And as much as, you know, motorists give anglers, anglers, cyclists shit, um, what they don't see is the fact that we're just people with a little bit of lycra on and we don't bounce very well and they don't give us enough room and we've just become maligned. And I know I've seen it for myself as because I, I drive a lot as well when people are behaving badly and they do, you know, two and three across the road and they're slowing yeah. down miles of traffic. It just, it's really bad behavior that spoils it for, for everyone else. But really, so a year ago, I just said to the guys, I'm not doing it anymore because it was riskier for me than jumping out of a plane or going on a, a, a bungee ride. I'm with you on that. I used to ride motorbikes. And when you ride with your friends, you're either, you're always trying to keep up with them. And I ended up, because, you know, two or three friends got killed. And I didn't want to ride at their speeds for the reason that, so, and the same with cyclists. I probably ride three times a year with my, um, we call them the Peloton briefs, because <laughs> the, the lawyers. And I, re- and I, I always feel uneasy because if you're cycling, and you wanted to talk to somebody, you've got to be two abreast. And I always feel uncomfortable two abreast. So then they drop behind you. So you're not talking. It's like, why am I doing it in the first place? Why don't we just all meet somewhere and then go our separate ways? I always feel uncomfortable with somebody next to me, and I certainly won't ride next to somebody else. So I've never been a social, I would say, less than 0.1% of my cycling has ever been with other people. I just don't feel comfortable about it. So the cycling that I used to do in the week was so I could be fit enough to ride with everyone and not get battered on a Sunday morning. And yeah. we um, we always used to ride as, you know, a, a tight group, one behind the other. The only time that we would ride side by side is if we were on a really wide road and maybe at six o'clock in the morning, you know, on a summer's morning when there's nobody else about and you're just getting warm, nobody sort of dropped the hammer and you're starting to, you know, make it count. I can remember a few times when it, we wouldn't have seen anyone for 10 minutes on a super wide road, 6.30 in the morning, beautiful summer's morning. Then somebody had come past at 70, leaning on the horn. And you're like, are we right here? What, what, what kind of mindset are some motorists in that they see people at 6.30 in the morning and they, they feel the need to do it? And it's incidents like that. I just went, I'm, I'm done. I, 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 yeah. I'm not a social animal either. I, I'm, you know, uh, uh, cycling, fishing, uh, walking to me is a solitary pursuit. I'm, I'm probably the most open, friendly, kind person on social media. But when it comes to fishing, cycling, I do it on my own. I, right. I, I do fish. Occasionally, I might meet up with Brian Scholes twice a year or whatever. I don't fish with other people. I enjoy my own. I'm the worst, worst person to fish with because there's only one swim. I go fishing for me, not for somebody else. I, you know, I'm what I don't fish with other people. I fish on my own and I cycle on my own because when I cycle on my own, I don't have to get up and go. I have to go at seven o'clock because I've arranged to meet somebody. I wake up in the morning and go, I'm going riding today and I'm going riding tomorrow. And I'm up. I don't like to be tied down. So I've always been a, a loner, you know, at school. I was never part of the football team, the hockey team, the cricket team. I was always the weird kid who liked kiss, who liked fishing, who had a pet rabbit. Or lived. I was the weird kid who was on his own. 
And I'm quite happy to be that. I, you know, the fact that other people, I don't fit in with other people, don't bother me at all. Don't bother me at all. You say that, though, but you're absolutely right. He's, he, he, you don't have that kind of loner personality. Whenever I've seen you at shows or any video I've ever seen you in, gregarious, chatting, it's just, again, you must have that level of self-reflection where you go, I, it's fine, I don't mind the company people, but um, does it come back to fo- does it come back to focus though? Is it um, going? No, I'm, I'm happy in my own company. Right. I, I'm happy. You know, I think because when I was young, there wasn't anybody. You know, if you said right, okay, there's a school of your your forms, your your years got a hundred people in it. Right. How many people like Kiss? Right. We're down from a hundred to three. <laughs> right. And how many of those three? Also, like fishing, well, we're down to two. How many it's it's you and Spug, isn't it? <laughs> Spug's a lovely bloke, but we're different. <laughs> and so, I had to learn to like my own company, and I do. I, I don't need anybody else to go fishing, I don't need anybody else to go cycling. You know, my life on my own is complete. Other people add to it, but I, I don't. I don't need to be with other people. But I also understand that when I'm at a show, I make every single person feel as special as anybody else. Mm. When I go to carpet conferences, there was nothing worse than watching well-known anglers or people who thought they were well-known stood next to the bar with their cronies. Um, you wouldn't dare approach them because they 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 were in a different... And I thought, when I get well known i am not going to hang around with all you know the people that are well-known car panelists so if i go to a conference you don't see me hanging around with alan blair or terry or any of the well-known anglers or near the bar when i'm at a conference i'm there to spend time with the people who've paid their show money and every one of those will go away and think wow he's made me feel special you know i'm not there to go Julian couldn't be 45 <laughs> so yeah but on the bank my worst nightmare is that somebody goes hi Jules and sets up next to me you know because that's my escape you can have all of my attention on social media all of my attention at conferences but when I go fishing I just want to be on my own and that's fair enough I, I, yeah, I'm fighting yeah yeah you can you can't ask for, for anything more than that. People are allowed to be private. People are allowed to have their own private time. And <clears throat> for want of a better phrase, you're a angling celebrity. And <laughs> you laugh, but, you know, you've been doing it for 35 years. There's nobody else really that's – well, very few people that's been around for 35 years. Whether you're a novice or an experienced guy, newcomer or old, they know who you are. and you're entitled to go fishing and fish for yourself and have a little bit of privacy. Don't get me wrong, I won't be rude to people, but I... Just throw I, the kettle at them. <laughs> to myself, um, you know, and I will I will nod, you know, whereas I know other people go, I've seen them, you know, hi, I'm uh, such and such, and uh, hello, and uh, have you... And here's a picture. Yeah, here's a picture of my latest 30. It's like, oh... <laughs> No, 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 you know, oh, no. So when I go fishing, I go for me. And if somebody comes along and chats to me, that's great. 
But when they come along and they bring a guest chair and a cup, you know, <laughs> no, I'm not joking. It does happen, you know. And I do say to people when I turn up, even on waters I know people, I always say, you know, come and have a coffee later, but just let me get set up. Let me, you know, get my shit together, get cast out. You know, don't sit me when it when it's just getting dark or. We just got to use a bit of common sense. Oh, mate, I I find it irritating when I'm, you know, when I'm not famous whatsoever, but you're on your lake, you know, you're on fish, you're trying to get your shit together, get your rods together, um, get your bivvy up, get sorted out, and somebody will come and stand in your swim and go, you've been doing all right, haven't you? Yeah, I have. And you just, they're trying to, and I'll never be ignorant to anyone. I'll, you know, it's great that people want to be friendly, but some people haven't got the social cues to think there's a guy over here sweating his ass off, moving as quickly as he possibly can. I'll just, I'll, I'll give him half an hour and I'll come back in a bit. It's a missing gene, isn't it? I mean, so yeah, it's, but people are people and it's not the end of the world. And if it happens once, it's great. If it happens twice, you just have to say, listen, mate, you know, when I turn up, not got a problem having a coffee. Let me get cast out. And if they take the up, it's not my fault. And if they learn from it, that's great. You know, it's just a matter of being, I would never, you know, it's just, it's, you know, you just have to be, try and be nice to people. But sometimes if you, if you don't, you're making a rod for your own back. You know, you sometimes have to be straight with people as well. Yeah, indeed. And again, especially where you are. Yeah, I'm sure you'd have every single member of every club that you've ever been at just coming and having half an hour. In the end, you've got people sat with you 24 hours if you just try and be too friendly all the time. You know, I always say that, you know, at the end of the day, all I can do is say, you won't find somebody who's met me that's gone, that that I'm aware of. I met him and he was a real arsehole. He wasn't what I expected. You know, that's all you can hope for, you know, and... As long as that, as long as that's like that, I'm fine about that. You know, heck, it's only fishing. <laughs> I'd, I'd be surprised if people come away with any other impression about me. To be honest, <laughs> a lot of famous anglers and well-known anglers that I thought, oh my god, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's easy to get carried away. Um, I'm conscious that we've um. We've been talking for well over an hour and a half. Um, So I am very, I'm genuinely appreciative of your time and and for coming on. Um, I've got one quick question to ask. Um, It's just about winter fishing. I've noticed on Facebook just recently, you've been doing a a couple of articles about how you approach it and um, what you do differently. And and then anybody should go and read that. There's loads of good tips in it. One quick question I would ask, when, when do you decide... It's winter. What's the bit? Well, when do you think the carp start to go into winter mode? And when do you take your cues to change the way you're fishing? Now, this is really, yeah, this is a good question. It's because in the olden days, when there was a close season, then what would happen is that when it got to September, October, you'd get the September, October to mid-November, you'd get the autumn feed. Now that was because we didn't start fishing with them, t- fishing for them till June. But the problem is now is that people are pursuing carp pretty regularly from March onwards. So by the time it comes to September, they've had, for want of a better expression, six months of twatting. And I find that the period October onwards, as soon as that water clears, 
as soon as the weed starts to die back, um, that to me is the autumn almost has gone now. We're almost having a blend of seasons where it's becoming very grey. To me, once once the fishing comes to a bit of a halt, even on the most prolific waters, all of a sudden it's five fish in a day, four fish in a day, one fish in a day. To me, winter is, you know, technically it's the 21st of December or something like that. But if somebody said to me, when is winter fishing? For me, it's November onwards. You know, from November onwards, I differentiate the approach. If I'm still catching four or five a day or whatever in November, I'll just keep at it. But I find that once you get that, certainly up here, once it starts to get cold, you get the first frost, the leaves coming off the trees uh, in great numbers, the water clearing, uh, weeds started today. But that, that's, you know, November onwards is my idea of winter fishing. It might not technically be winter fishing, but once it gets cold, I will start varying my approach. But I think the period November, mid-October nowadays to um end of November is a real struggle because the fish have been pursued so much for so long. I think the fishing first of January onwards is better. Wow. Yeah, genuinely. Wow. That is interesting. November and December, I find in a lot of my waters are real tough months now. Really? Really tough, yeah. Wow. It's it's my favourite time of the year. Oh, terrible up here. Really? I just, I find the banks get quiet. I'm turning to write antisocial gear. The, um, the banks get quiet. And I think as, as long as it doesn't get a lid on it, or it do, so I fish a lot on the Trent Valley, as long as it doesn't get flooded, and as long as it doesn't get flooded, uh, doesn't get a lid on it, I can fish well right through to sort of December time. I, I went the other night and I thought, well, this is going to be the last time because through January it's going to get flooded and, and that just blows the waters out for a, for a couple of months. So for me, I'd, I'd like to fish well up until Christmas whenever possible. And usually I have some of my biggest hits. But, wow. I, but I do avoid summer carping. I, it's, it's too busy uh it's too hot and i just thought you know those hot months where you see them up on the surface milling it about and i don't know if in my mind i think it's not that it's too easy but you 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 just i spend more time watching them than i do fishing for them and i my days of sitting sweating day after day in the july sun I, i just don't do it anymore i would much rather the dark hours sat in the mud on my own call me weird but it just does it for me yeah yeah and i think if you fished in the summer more you'd realize how hard it is in november december you know i don't know many waters where you could compare what you catch in november and december with what you catch in may june july and august yeah you're right if you fish all year round you would see the drop off in catches but it doesn't make any difference to me because i have different expectations I don't go on the 15th of December and go, it's going to be like the 18th of July. You know, uh, you know, it, it, it's that ability. And I don't care anyway, as long as I'm giving it my best shot. If somebody's catching eight next to me and I'm catching none, then I'm doing something wrong. But the reality is, on most of the waters, there's the odd bite coming out, the odd fish coming out, the odd red letter day. But it doesn't really bother me. As long as I give it my best shot, it don't really bother me. But November, you know, I will. I prefer January, February onwards than I do November, December. Certainly, 
mid-December, sort of from now to the end of February, I prefer from now back to the start of October. Mm. I can remember in the early days of Facebook when you first started <clears throat> going on, you were doing a lot of fishing at specific hours. You'd worked no. out on where well, you'd worked out on your local waters that I might as well just turn up, fish for this hour, catch two or three fish, pack up and go home. And I, it did never occurred to me so starkly that Absolutely. in winter, yeah, oh, yeah, such a tight time. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, now there are certain times where you are wasting your time to be there. At the moment, bite time, and a lot of my, you will pick the odd one up at 10 o'clock in the morning or 12 o'clock. Bite time is too wild, too wild, half past three. That is the bite time. Um, other waters, so that's the that's day only waters where you can't night fish. And a lot of the night fishing waters, bites are sort of two while four and then eight while ten. Yeah. And other than that, you're wasting your time. So, you know, timing is everything. People talk about location. Location is a waste of time if you're not there when they're feeding. Location is good, but you've also it goes hand in hand with timing. If you certainly as it gets as it gets tighter and tighter in the season, location is up at the start of the year, locate when the fish are feeding more regularly, location is 80%, timing is 20%. But now location is 20%, but timing is 80%. So you've got to get yourself on them. But if you are not there, if you if you pack in at two o'clock or why or turn up after five and you pack in at seven, you're not going to catch them. So Location and timing, definitely at this time of year, for me. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I guess the old adage is true that you can only fish when you can fish. And if you're at work yeah. or you've got um, commitments with kids and stuff like that, you I'm should sure. just you should just go fishing. There's, there's no reason why you shouldn't, but it, you've got to be ready for a, for a blank if you're not there at bite time. I fish no more hours now than I used to do but I fish at the right time and I catch three times more fish because before I would have to do three overnighters a week. So 36 mm -hmm. hours. I now fish 36 hours, probably six times a week at bite times. You know, I don't need to, uh, you know, get there at five o'clock in the evening, fish all the way through for a one hour bite time. I, you know, bite time was always on a lot of my summer waters, 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. All the big fish came out of them, and I was winding in to go to work at 6 a.m. And you could do five overnighters a week and catch nothing, or you could do one morning and catch three. Mm. And it's timing. You know, it, it, the reason full-timers catch more carp than anybody else, obviously other than ability, is the fact that they are there more often at the right time. You, can, yeah. you cannot compete with somebody who is there five days a week or four days a week and they can dumb it down and saying you wouldn't you probably wouldn't catch you will never catch less by being there more often if you've got this if you've got any ability because mm. you are going to be in this because if you're only turning up at five o'clock the best swims have gone you know so if you could be there three or four days in a row you are going to be in one of the best swims at least two or three of those days and you're going to be in the best hours at least twice a day so it's something that people who fish a lot tend to dismiss and say you're only jealous the reality is i catch more carp than my friends because i can be there at bite time more often than not i've not got a better angler 
I'm using the same stuff, the same tactics, the same hooks, the same baits, but I can fish more at the right time. Yeah. Did you ever consider packing at work? Did, did yeah. Was there ever a stage where you went, I, you know, I'm going to take this to the next level? No. No. Because I know what people earn out of fishing. I know what I earned at court. I know what how the percentage of people who packed in and went fishing full time, they they had that thousand yard stare. They didn't seem to enjoy it as much. It, it I wasn't packing it in to be a professional footballer wage rise. You would look at the people who your icons who are full time anglers and see them turn up at conferences in cars that you that you had when you were seventeen. You know, and don't get me wrong. If that's their passion, but I, you know, it ain't going to buy you a nice house in the country. It wasn't going to give me a lifestyle I wanted. And also, I wanted to look forward to my fishing. I didn't want to think if that monkey climber didn't go up there or the indicator didn't go over, I'm going to struggle. I never left my, uh, the ability to pay the mortgage, put fuel in the car, in the hands of the carp and my employers. I, I wanted to have that balance. I wanted to say, I'm not going fishing this week and it's not going to cost me my mortgage. I'm going to have two weeks off or whatever and I'm still going to be able to pay my mortgage and I can still do anything I want. Most, The majority of people who went fishing full time in the 80s and 90s gave it up. Yeah. Burnt out. Yeah, I agree. The the again, having gone through that period and, and bought the cartwheels, it's a different set of anglers now. There's very very few that have sustained themselves all the way through. And as you say, they they just got burnt out. <clears throat> they have to do tuitions. They have to you know they do slideshows. I can go and do a slideshow for free, uh, for, other than getting my fuel because I don't need it to pay my bills. I don't need to charge six hundred pounds for a slideshow because I need that money. I don't need to say I need to do four tuitions a month to have money. I can do it to give back. You know, I, I'm, you know, I worked 38 years. I don't feel in any way guilty. You know, I worked hard for 38 years while most people were laughing and going, oh, you haven't caught many carp because I know why. So, you know, I've done it my way, you know, and mm. fair play to them. I, I don't have to get out of bed to go fishing. It's not a job to me. I treat it like a job. A professional it's never been a job to me never ever been a job to me ever and i've had plenty of offers to work for magazines fishing companies media people and never wanted to good for you good for you <laughs> looking back i think i know what the answer is going to is going to be you're going to say you've had no regrets but looking back is there a a wrestling show a concert, a any event that you look back and go, I wish I'd gone to that. That was a missed opportunity. Or fishing, anything out of all the things that you do. Because it, it feels like you're very centred, you're very self-aware, you're very conscious and you're clear that you've made the right decisions. But there's got to be something where you look back and go, geez, I, I wish I'd seen Kiss in Japan in 1996. Wow. Um... John, I'm really struggling here because my parents made me very self, you know, self-aware. Um, and I'm trying to think back, you know, I've probably ruined one or two relationships with fishing too much. But there again, if 
one or two of those relationships had continued, I wouldn't have Ros now. So, you know, you know, sometimes the way I trap people on my way up um, in relation to girls wasn't good because fishy was all all encompassing. Um, but to be honest, I can't ever remember not going to a wrestling. I don't think I've ever gone fishy when something else was more important. I've never. Um, no, I, do you know, honestly, I, 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 you know, I could have been, I could have gone and worked for Cart World. I could have been one of the three or four people working for Cart. You know, I, I could have been one of the four partners in Cart Talk. Um, I could have worked for Nashi, but none of them were that where I look back and go, do you know what? I really should have been a partner in Cart Talk. I really should have been working for Cart World and Jack McCourt jobbing. I really should have. Honestly, God's honest truth, I can't think of any regrets. You know, there's probably one or two waters where I should have fished a bit more at. <laughs> I can't, honestly, no. no I, I, gen genuinely, I can't think of where I've, you know, um, I shouldn't have crapped in my suit, in my one-piece suit. <laughs> but generally, no, 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 I, I have no regrets in the fishing world. Um, and what people may look back as missed opportunities only gave me there's better opportunities elsewhere, you know. What a phenomenal so, thing to be able to look back on and say that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's a rare thing. It's every Everybody can look back and, you know, look at missed opportunities, be able to look back and go, I've made the right choices, I've done the things that I need to get out. That's, that's a nice feeling. On a, on a cold winter's eve to be able to look back and go, yeah, I've done the right things. It's probably cost me... Probably people have looked at me and gone, God, you really should have worked at Cartwood. You could have gone fishing all the time. You really should have fished down south because you could have caught. Through other people's eyes, I am sure they probably think you should have done this or that. But that's like me looking at somebody else and going, why aren't you doing that? I only look through my eyes. And the problem with society nowadays is people look through their eyes at other people's lives. And I'm, we look at people now and say, God, we had it so good and you've got it crap. They're looking through their eyes going, I, I didn't want to kip under a wave like Lolly. <laughs> I didn't want to fish for a 17. I didn't want to only have two waters. I didn't want to have a personal best of £25 when I've been cart fishing eight years. So through my eyes, I don't see anything, any regrets. But I'm sure through other people's ideas, People will go, God, just think if you had, mm. you know, that's through their eyes. Through my eyes, no, no. Cool. Good for you. Genuinely good for you. That is a good position to be in. Um, I'd like to be six foot three. Say again? I'd like to be six foot three rather than five foot ten. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm the same. I'd rather that my hair wasn't starting to disappear and I could stop at 15 stone instead of 17 stone, but... It's it's as we said earlier. It's wanting to do it. If if you're happy and you're comfortable, I'm not that bothered. If I was bothered, I'd stop eating. Absolutely. Most people's things they regret are in their own are in their own hands. Certainly, as a youngster, most of it's in your own hands. As you get older, you can't you know you can't fight back 
um, old age, uh, diseases, things like that. You kick that that's out of your, you know, you, you can never smoke a day and get lung cancer. So, but you can give yourself as many chances as possible. But most people's lives are they can most people can make their lives better. Yes, some people are born into poverty. Some people are born with bad parents, but a lot of people who I see who complain a lot, actually, it's in their own hands. Yeah. And once you accept, there are some people it's not. Once you accept that you actually can change your own life, be it fishing or otherwise, you can make your life better. You know, Tim Paisley told me that. He says, you just have to work harder. You yeah. know, most of it's down to drive and work. Nobody gave, Terry Hearn was a postman. He, Terry Hearn wasn't born the best car prang in the world. He just fished his nuts off. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh well it's 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 internalized and externalized factors. The things Absolutely. you can the things you can control, do something about it. And the things that you can't control, don't worry about it. Because Absolutely. there's nothing you can do to influence those things. Park those things and focus on the things where you can improve. Well, I would say they're not in my garden. I, you know, uh, whatever I might think about Boris Johnson or Dominic Cummings or Brexit, I have no influence over them. There's no point getting wound up about tier three, tier two. Nothing I can do about it other than it's me that makes the choices to not shake hands with people, to protect myself, to protect my family, to do the right thing, to set a good example. That's that's me. If somebody else don't want to do it, that's up to them. You know, but and you know, it's it's down to each individual. The future's in your own hands, generally. Yeah. Well, where we're starting to get to in society is if you've got the the wrong opinion, then you start to become a social pariah. People have started to <clears throat> think they've got a right because they hold an opinion to tell you what you should think and how you should think. And it's like the vaccine thing. If you want to take it, take it. If you don't want to take it, don't take it. But don't be somebody who walks around telling other people that they should take it because it's nothing to do with you. If you if there are rules that say if you don't take the vaccine, this happens. If you do take it, this happens. That's life. You know, it's each their own. I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. You know, the, I believe that you should keep to the rules, keep to the laws. Um, and if you don't want to do not don't write in magazines that you fished all the way through lockdown and things like that. Because it doesn't impress me at all. It just devalues you in my eyes. Yeah, there, there was a lot of that going on. I um, Some of the lakes where I fish, I'd take the dog for a walk. <clears throat> and there used to be, most of the swims would be overgrown. And then there'd be a few swims that were obviously getting used where bivvies and things were getting put up at night. And there was big signs everywhere saying, you know, closed due to COVID. And you're just like, this, this isn't helping anyone. I know, and it's it's the thing to me is how would I feel if I went carp fishing and my next door neighbour's wife, father, daughter died as a nurse? How would I feel? That person's given their lives up to keep people alive, and I can't be just have three months off it. Yeah, you know, how is that person going to feel when they see me with all my fish attack in the car, clearly breaking the rules? That's how I feel. And if other people want to do it differently, I don't want to know about them. But if they start posting on social media in magazines, I need to remove it so it doesn't affect me. You know, yeah. I, I uh, you know, and, and don't, you know, write about it and then expect me to respect you as an angler. I'll respect the fact you've caught all those fish, but 
hand of God, Maradona and all that, you know, it's that, isn't it? You know, please don't tell me it was a great goal. It, it went in the goal, but it wasn't a great goal, mate. Yeah, indeed. Uh, to that end, I, I said um, the other night, should we, um, should we have some food tonight? And both the kids went, we're in tier three, Dad. I'm like, are we? Because yeah. it's just, it's passed me by. I've just, I've shut down on watching the TV and what's going off generally. I've, I've tucked myself in and I, I come to my office every day and I work and I've stopped worrying about things simply because I, it's outside of my control. So it came <laughs> as a surprise of me that I couldn't. And when I go to the supermarket, the kids are going, put your mask on. But I've, I've not been going out and mixing and socialising. So I kind of forget that the whole world out there's really made great strides because I've just, I've kept away. And that's, that's you know, I'm, I'm not monitoring what everyone's doing. I'm not listening to what Boris is talking about. I'm not listening to what other politicians and the media are saying because it doesn't really have any effect on me. So I just turn the news off and I'm happier for it. <laughs> Dead right, mate. So we've, we've just come to two hours. Um, so we'll we'll draw a line there. Genuinely, thank you for your time. I've loved talking to you. And I, as, as ever, whenever I do any of these, I... I'm just a dude from Derby who's got a podcast and it's it's a privilege for me to talk to um, the assembled angling stars that we've we've been able to have on. So as, on a personal note, thank you so much for sharing your time. It's been a pleasure. And um, yeah, hopefully in some point we'll do it again. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just a dude from, well, Selby or whatever. So yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're just... Most well-known rock stars will just say, I'm just a guy who plays guitar, you know, or sings or whatever, you know. It's... Uh, it's we're just fishermen, mate. We're just people tra- going through life doing what we do. Well, well, on that, I'll leave you with one story, and I think I've shared this with you before. I went a couple of years ago. Um, Dean Macy rang me up. He says, "Look, I'm up with Smug. I'm on the Trent. Come and have a cup of coffee. I'm only down the road." And I went down. We sat there. There was another of the guys from Gillams, and there was a guy sort of sat on the end. And I went down and I had a chat with him and walked back up to Spug and he's like, oh, how did you get on with him? I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's a nice guy. Um, Adrian his name. Yeah, yeah, And he's one of the guys from Iron Maiden. Adrian Smith, yeah. And I, I'm i just like, you're kidding me. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know him well. And, blo-. and he's the nicest bloke you would ever wish to meet. And he must have so much fan adulation, so much money, have travelled the world as a superstar rock star, and that day he was just a bloke fishing and we just talked about fishing and I, I wouldn't have known him from Adam. And that that's when you've got it. That's when you're a nice bloke. Yeah, that's right. You actually probably wouldn't have known him from Yannick or Dave Murray, as they say, yeah. Right. Yeah, nice bloke, really nice bloke. And again, you won't find anybody who has a bad word to say about him. No, indeed. I just... I, he was just a normal bloke. You just You really wouldn't have known. And that it just goes to show that... That's the redeeming feature of however famous you ever become. When you can meet someone, they go, he's a nice chap. That's how, that, That's the merit of a good bloke. Absolutely. Perfect. Julian, thank you so much, mate. I've really enjoyed it. Nice. Have a great Christmas, everybody. Cheers, mate. See you soon.